0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So this week we are continuing in our series called Parables. Uh, And this parable that we're going to talk about today is known as the Two Builders. Uh, Jesus contrasts the building practices of a wise and unwise man to illustrate the importance of obedience, okay? Now, we see the same language used in Matthew 7, a lot of the same verbiage, uh, pretty much the same parable. That starts around verse 24. Uh, There is debate about whether both Matthew and Luke were writing about the same exact preaching of this sermon by Jesus, or if they recorded two separate events, um, some believe that this is two accounts of the same exact sermon. Some believe it's two different times Jesus preached very similar sermons. Uh, some of that has to do with uh, what is mentioned geographically, right? So in Matthew's account of this same uh, parable, it's what's included in what's part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? So you get the idea that he's uh, geographically, or at least his elevation is somewhat high when he's giving that. Uh, Luke account... Luke's account of the same thing mentions Jesus coming down to a level place and then uh, giving the sermon. So what that could have been is he came down the mountain some to a flat level spot, still was the sermon on the mount. I tend to think that that's probably the case based on just the way the story breaks down. It seems to be the very very close to the same time frame. Um, it doesn't really matter a whole lot, really. Uh, That's just one of those things that Bible nerds like me think about, and so I thought you might be interested. There is some contention about whether this is the same sermon or two different sermons, okay? Because there is some difference between what Matthew and Luke include in their account, and so that would be one way to understand why that is. It might have been Jesus uh, saying the similar principles two different times. Uh, We're going to reference back and forth between the two because regardless if they are the same sermon or two different sermons, they're really similar, so... Uh, We'll refer back and forth. Um, The first week of our premarital process is centered around these scriptures and around this parable. Because clearly, if you don't get first things first and a sure foundation under you of Christ and his word, anything you try to build, whether it be a life, a marriage, a career, it's going to crumble. It's going to be tragic. And so um, if you get married at Love City... We're going to sit down the first week and we're going to find out what's your foundation? What are you building with? Because we want to make sure that's in place first before we try to talk about anything else because nothing else we talk about will make sense, okay? Without that in place. All right, so uh, Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 46, just three verses. Here we go. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great." We're going to start here with the most basic elements of uh, this parable, uh, and then we'll move deeper from there. The first thing to decipher here is the fact that this is a parable. It's metaphorical in nature, and so Jesus is not passionately defending uh, strict building codes, and he's not like a meteorologist predicting some actual future storm or bad weather. Um, The builders here are each of us. The houses are our lives, and the storms or the floods are the tests, trials, and difficulties of this life. Notice that there's only two potential kinds of builders. We, we wish there were more most of the time, but there's only two. Uh, there's no middle ground. There's no guy that dug halfway down, so he might make it a little better than the guy that didn't dig at all. Either your life is on a solid foundation, and it's resting upon King Jesus and his word, or it's not. There's only two options. So what is Jesus saying here? He's given us a parable of two builders, one who can withstand the torrent of difficulty and hardship, and one who can't? But what is the divider? What determines whether someone's life is connected to Christ and therefore is unshakable? Or if it's resting upon something that's going to give away when that time comes? How can you tell the difference? The difference can be reduced to one word it's obedience. It's obedience. Wow. Some of you look like I just said a dirty old cuss word. Obedience is not a bad word, all right? I know it sounds like it, especially in a culture where you're constantly fed this idea uh, that you're God. We don't like the word obedience when we believe that. Um, obedience is not a bad word. It's a very good word, um, despite the constant onslaught of sinful reassurance that you should only obey your own impulses and ideas and that you are the sovereign supreme ruler of your reality. Uh, When the message we get all the time is that you're in charge, you should do what you want, you should do what feels good, you should do what makes you happy, with little concern for holiness, Uh, what we have is a problem with the word obedience, because that connotates that I'm going to listen to what someone else is saying. And sometimes we get upset about that, even if that's God, (laughs) as dumb as that is, right? So we don't want to do that. And the difference between somebody that's wise in the way they build their life and not comes down to that simple word, obedience. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, it is likely you are worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That's fun, isn't it? (laughs) If your God never disagrees with you, it is likely you are worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You should come into conflict, I would say at least somewhat regularly, between what you are thinking or doing and what God would have you do. If you think God signs off 100% on 100% of what you do, say and think, you might be the liar that's described in 1 John that says you have no sin. This is commonly found uh, in, the, in the super special group of people. They'll, they'll say things like, hey, me and Jesus are okay. We have a special thing. We have a special relationship. It's just me and him. No, you don't. Um, that doesn't exist, okay? Um, people are deceived into thinking that the Bible, which God gave humanity in order to understand his great love for us and then paint a picture of how we relate to him in light of that, that, that Bible doesn't apply to them. They can be deceived into thinking they, they're into some special subgroup of, of special Jesus friends, okay? That's not real, man. That does not exist, okay? Um, here's, an, here's another one you'll hear. Uh, you can't tell me I'm sinning. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart, and it's deceitfully wicked. Yeah. How you like that one? He said a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And if you loved him, you would obey his commands. Woo-hoo! It's fun, isn't it? See, Jesus gave us a prerequisite to understand whether or not we love him. And it's not that we simply say it with our mouth, because that's real easy. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I can say it high. I can say it low. I could probably say it in some other languages if I knew it. It's easy to let that come up out of my mouth. But obeying him? whoo Now that's different. It means I have to lay my life down, my preferences, what I want to do, what might seem fun to me, what I might think would lead to my happiness. You see, but a wise man understands that my greatest joy and happiness is found in obedience to the God that made me because he loves me better than I love myself. Do you guys track with that? If we could just believe that, I promise you so many problems would be solved and the mission would get done right there. Much of the things that distract us, entangle us, and pull us off track into sin is because we don't believe that simple logical series right there. God loves me better than I do. God knows better than I do. He's smarter than me, and if I would just obey him, it would lead ultimately to greater joy for me. If you could buy that and throw away all the other garbage that's mixed in with it, um, be a better place. And we'd get more done. You need to shake yourself and awake from the blissful ignorance of deception. If you are either of those people where I made my voice sound funny, if you say that type of stuff, please stop. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, and, and, and maybe I should have done that a different way, and, and if I offended you, I'm really sorry. But as somebody that loves you, even though I don't have to know you to love you because of how much Jesus has loved me, and so I care about you having joy in this life, and more importantly, I care about you being with Jesus for eternity, and so my job is to not let you think dumb stuff like that. You don't have a special relationship with Jesus aside from the Bible, aside from what the Bible would tell you. The only way we have any way to know what God thinks about us or him is the scriptures. So that's where we go to find those answers, okay? There's one way to be connected to King Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And And he is the one who said that no one will come to the Father except through me. There's one way to be connected to him. You ready for it? We can find it right here. It's in verse 47. If you want to look back at it, here's what it says. He who hears my words and acts on them. He who hears my words and acts on them. Um, now, some of you might be thinking, no, 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 hold on, Pastor Vince. You've you, you missed something here. Um, you're way off, man. There, there was this thing that happened, it's called the Reformation. And uh, you see, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Thank you. Thank you for stopping me and reminding me about the Reformation. Um, But we need to take a little trip through the Word here uh, to see that that doesn't mean what it's often made out to mean, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Oftentimes, that can be taken to a point that I don't think the Word ever intended for it to go, okay? Um, For example, first, let's look at, uh, you like Ephesians 2? You guys like Ephesians 2? We'll check that out. You don't have to turn there. Um, I like Ephesians 2 as well. It's beautiful. Let's check that out. See, because most of us can quote verse 8 and 9, but we forget about verse 10. Here's what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, right? That's the part we remember and we like. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That was verse 9. Here's Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. You see how instantly even the proof text verse for grace through faith in Christ alone has mention of works. Interesting. Well, what about John three sixteen? You may say, "I got you." What about John three sixteen? You must have forgot about that, Pastor Vince. I didn't. Um, I like John 3.16. It's the first verse I ever remembered. I went to Sunday school a couple times when I was a kid, and that's the one they were pushing, and so I latched onto it. It's a good verse. It says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I believe that verse. I'm so thankful for John 3.16. But as great of a verse as that is, uh, if we just continue on 20 more verses, so we go to verse 36, you'll see, That thought unpacked a little bit more. Here's what verse 36 tells us. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, right? We're on point so far. That agrees with exactly what John 3.16 said. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. We don't like those verses. Let's go back to John 3.16. It's fun over there. (laughs) 3.36 3.36 is scary, and I don't understand how to make it mesh together with Ephesians 2 and with John 3.16. How is it that obedience to God seems to be somehow connected to seeing life, and yet we have all these verses that it's like, man, what's the deal? It looks like all I should need to do is believe. What's, what's this deal? What's this bringing in then? Are people getting confused about what leads to salvation? Um, I would also encourage you here on, on verse um, 36 in John 3 that, you could complicate this verse into a debate about whether uh, the disobedient person that's mentioned uh, could be a Christian or not. Uh, I would encourage you instead of trying to make it complicated that you just catch the simple black and white, plain as day message. Here it is. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. That's what you should come away with from that verse. Um, and that should, that should wake us up. That should call our attention. That should make our ears perk up because I want to see life. <laughs> I want to have life and have it more abundantly here on this earth as I walk with Jesus. And I definitely want to be in what is regarded life when it comes to eternity, which is connected to God the Father because of Jesus. So first I want to say, I need you to listen to me. I I am so grateful that our salvation and redemption and reconciliation with God the Father is based on the grace of God poured out onto us who believe by faith in the finished work of Christ. That's true. And you'd be hard pressed to find a guy more thankful than me uh, that we're saved by grace because uh, I would consider myself among the bottom rung when it comes to deserving of that grace or mercy. And so I'm very, very thankful that it was not some cosmic scheme where if I would do enough good works to outweigh my bad works, then maybe God would love me. That's in no way what I'm pushing for, and I need you to understand that what takes us from death to life, what takes us from darkness to light is nothing that we could do or say or think. It is everything that Jesus did. And even the very faith that it takes to believe in the finished work of Christ is a gift from God. So he does it all, and that's why he gets all the glory, right? Amen, you happy about that? Amen. Okay. However, what we can't do is forget that we are not only saved To revel in the beautiful light of the mercy of God, we are rescued to be a part of the mission of spreading the good news of the gospel. Love-motivated obedience is is what is required for that mission, and the quickest thing that slows it down is pride-motivated disobedience. Do you catch that contrast? Love-motivated obedience will propel gospel mission forward, and we'll get something done for King Jesus. Pride-motivated disobedience will slow it down every time. What all of this really shows us is not that works are required for salvation. Okay, If you've started to fall asleep with me because I've been out in the deep water a little bit, come back because I need you to hear this. I need you to understand that this is true right here. What all of this, what we just talked about, what it really shows us is not that works are required for salvation, but that works reveal our salvation. Works are not required for salvation. What they do is reveal our salvation. If someone has had their heart transformed and been brought from darkness to light, death to life, then they will love their Savior, King Jesus. And out of that love, they will gratefully obey Him. Does that make sense? So what we see is, it's easier than we think to tell what's going on inside of us. Whether or not we do love God, whether or not our heart has been transformed, one of the earmarks of that will be somebody whose life is built on the sure foundation of obedience to Jesus and His Word. Amen? You happy? I like obeying Jesus. You guys look grumpy about it, but I mean, whatever. Um, If if you're upset about it, talk to the master, because he's he's who wrote it. So um, this wasn't me. Um, The book of James also weighs in on this, and and I'm I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Uh, He says something to this effect. You believe in God? Good job. Good job. So do the demons. And they tremble when they think about God's wrath being poured out. You see, what happens is sometimes there's this overcorrection to this, this running to that, no, 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 it's, it's by grace through faith in Christ alone. And what people make that mean is, there's then there's no other requirement upon me. Absolutely, your good works do not have the power to save you from damnation, which you deserve. Absolutely, that is true. Grace through faith is the only way we go from darkness to light. But then there is things that come along with that. And what it shouldn't be is this drudgery. It shouldn't be this that we're constantly being dragged along then to do different things than I did when I used to serve the kingdom of darkness, right? I should, I should want to do different things because of how good Jesus has been to me, because of how well I've been loved, because he laid down everything in my stead, that I need not feel that pain of death and rejection from God the Father. An understanding of that should conjure such gratitude and love in me that I should follow him willfully wherever that might lead me and whatever that might cost me. You guys on that train? You understand what I'm talking about? This is, this is the difference. You see an overrealized theology of grace will get you lazy. And we got to see that every place even the the most well-known Ephesians 2 that is the wheelhouse of those that want to push that's where that's the, where the reformers went that's when they railed against because the the and sometimes the overcorrection comes because man's sinful tendency in the past has been to misunderstand grace by faith and and what they do is they they make it a works-based system there was the Church, in the time when the reformers began to rail against what had become commonplace, i mean it was there was indulgences being paid, and that you could buy someone 's way out of heaven and if you would you know walk up these steps a certain amount of times and pray this certain prayer enough times that you might be able to get somebody out of purgatory or pray yourself into heaven, it was all this weird stuff that took Jesus out of the picture and put all of that weight of redemptive uh, power back on you and that 's just that was never right it was never going to happen and so But sometimes there's an overcorrection the other way where all of what the Bible says about what it should look like for a Christian to live can be erased. Because we don't want people to be overburdened with this this saddle, this yoke of religion. And I don't want you to be religious, but I want you to want to obey Jesus. Yes, I want to saddle you with that and have you ride all the way into town on it. Yes, I want you to want to obey Jesus. Amen? Amen? We're in Norwood. He's talking about saddles. That's weird. I know. You've at least seen a Western or something sometime. You know what that is. Um, So what this shows us is that works are not um, required for salvation, uh, but that our works will reveal our salvation. I'm going to give you three potential outcomes uh, of floods in this life and their implications And then I'm going to give you some practical questions that come straight uh, from our pre-marital process documents um, that are going to help you determine if your life is built on the rock of Christ and His Word or the shifting sands of idolatry, okay? Uh, Now in Luke, it is only recorded that Jesus says when the floods came. But Matthew kind of spells out the precursor to the floods and he says storms and rains and floods. So we understand that the flood is coming from... The rain, and this would have been a really vibrant example to the, the people that Jesus was talking to because uh, of the area that they're living in um, there in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. It's, it's like Arizona kind of. I don't know if any of you have been there, but it's a real dry, arid, it's rocky soil. And so when it does rain, very little of the water actually soaks into the ground like it does here. Uh, what it does is because the ground's so hard and dry, it just starts to run along the surface. And so very quickly, fa- faster than we could ever imagine here, you get some rain and you've got flash floods. It can just be absolutely devastating. And so this would, have, this would have caught the attention of his listeners. Like, whoa, what are you saying? Yeah, I do I do need to, do need to make sure my house is built on a sure foundation because, yeah, those flash floods happen all the time. So what are you saying, Jesus? What, how do I do that? And what does he say? He connects the surety and the stability of a house well built to obeying him and his words. Uh, there are three potential outcomes when the floods of difficulty come against us. Uh, these floods can have many causes. I need you to hear me in this. Sometimes it's our own sin. Anybody ever had a flood in your life caused by your own sin? My hands are both going up first. You don't have to feel like you're alone. Yes, I have. <laughs> Most of the floods in my life, I would say, have probably been caused by my own ignorance and or sin. Um, I'm probably the only one in the room. I'm seeing a lot of holy stares out there, but that's okay. I Man. I was a dirty, wretched sinner before Jesus, and, and even with him, I tend to stumble and fall. And so a lot of times, my own ignorance ends me up in trouble, but thank God for grace and mercy, because he pulls me out every time. Uh, so sometimes it is our own sins. Sometimes it's the fact that we live in an imperfect world. You guys aware of that? <laughs> we haven't got the perfection yet, clearly. Um, and, and that imperfect world is suffering under the effects of the curse, Okay. So sometimes they have, people have this weird idea that every bad thing that happens has to be like the, the sovereign act of God. Listen, the world is just jacked up because it's not the way that God made it. You understand that? We are living in a time period where we are feeling the pain of the fact that the earth and all of its inhabitants are separated from the God who made it by sin. And so bad stuff just happens flat out. It doesn't take anybody involved. So I think sometimes people give the devil too much credit. That hurricane, that was, no, if, listen, if the devil was like King Trident and could go out in the ocean and stir up a big hurricane and blow it into land, I mean, don't you think it'd be a constant hurricane all the time? The devil hates God's children, so it would be Hurricane Earth all the time, right? Sharknado, it would be all over the place. The devil has no creative power. You understand, the only thing the devil can do is lie to people. You, you understand that? But he's so good at it that he gets a bunch of his will done in the earth by just deceiving people. But that is the one tool in his very shallow toolbox that he's got. Those deceptions come in all shapes and sizes, but uh, that's the bottom line. We see that in the garden. What he do? He came and lied. Is that what God said? Sometimes it's just slightly twisting a little bit. A lot of times it's slightly twisting what God said. The greatest lies are always woven with truth. Pay attention to that. He's a liar, okay? He's not making the hurricanes. We live in a cursed world, okay? So sometimes sin causes floods. Sometimes uh, the fact that we live in a cursed world does. Let me just spark your appetite for our future hope, though. The day's coming when that's not going to be the case. You do understand that. You do understand that being a part of Team Jesus means that when all things come to an end, when time closes and eternity begins, that what's going to happen is Jesus is going to make All of his enemies his footstool. That every knee, whether friend or foe, is going to bow down and acknowledge his sovereign kingship. And I'm going to be on the right side of that one. Woo! I'm excited about it. Every day I look forward to that day. There's two days on my calendar. This day and that day. I stole that from Martin Luther. I'm not that eloquent. But I echo his sentiment. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. I'm not so, I'm not so you know, mentally entangled with that that I forget to find joy in the midst of what's going on now. I'm thankful to be where I am, when I am. That I believe what the word says that God has placed us where we are, when we are, for a reason. I'm excited to be where we are on mission for Jesus. And so um, I want to live absolutely every single minute that is required for me to fulfill the purpose that God put me on this planet for. But the very second that is done, I'd like to go. Amen? Amen? Amen. Some of you don't share that sentiment because you still fear death. I love you, but I would encourage you to check yourself on that. We have no fear of death, Christian. The Bible's very clear. It mocks death. Death, where's your sting? <laughs> where's your victory? It was taken away. It was swallowed up the day Jesus rose from that tomb. Death's been conquered for him and for you, for me. We don't fear death. It's our final victory, okay? We should not be morbid, but we should be able to look forward to it with anticipation, amen? Amen, Amen. I do. I don't care if you think I'm weird or not. (laughs) Okay, I told you sometimes sin causes floods, sometimes the fact that we're in a cursed world causes floods, sometimes God allows us to experience difficulty for our good and his glory. Some of you won't like that I said that, last one, uh, but it's because you believed a lie. The lie being that because the Bible says God only gives good things that 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 means he will never give hard things. Um, I will give you an example. It's imperfect because all examples are, but, um, my little boy, Max, if you haven't met him, just find him after service because his face is pure joy. Um, he's a chubby little blonde boy with blue eyes and, uh, He's learning to walk, and um, he's, getting just, he's getting fun he's getting just to the point where he can, like, point and communicate, uh, which also means he's, like, fully frustrated because he's, he, he's, like, aware of what he wants but can't communicate it, so a lot of his day is spent grunting like a Neanderthal, um, mostly in the search for food, uh, so that's that. But uh, what he really enjoys is climbing stuff already. He's, he's a little, uh, he's kind of freakish about that, and so anytime there's a ladder or something, uh, he wants to go get on it, and so... Um, even even just today, I took him out in the backyard, and um, I, I'll i lead him over to that ladder that I built so that uh, the kids can get up to the slide. I'll lead him up to it, and I'll, I'll set his little first foot on there and let him start to get going, and then I, I back away, but I'm, you know, my hands are still close enough that if something happens, I'm there, and I'll watch him, and uh, he can climb that ladder by himself. He's just barely, he turned one in July, and I mean, you should see his legs, I don't know if he's got a genetic deformity or what, his thighs are so thick, I mean, and his mom had him in jeans today, so he's like, you know, he's trying to like hike that leg up there to get to the next step, and he's struggling, and uh, a couple times he got frustrated, put his leg back down, looked back at me, and he's like, you know, slamming on the step, and it's like, oh, God help me, this is my son, and uh, so, but I'm watching him struggle, and I'm watching him fight through it, and um, everything in me wants to just kind of put my hand right under his little tush, and push him up the next step, because he's, you know, he's struggling, he's frustrated, but I stayed back, I watched him struggle, and he got frustrated, he shook his little head, and then he finally reached up, and with a combination of pulling up with that arm, he was able to get that foot up there, and he made it, and then then he had a rhythm, he got the next step, the next step, got to the top, turned around, you could just see on his little face, like, what's up, dad, (laughs) I just did that by myself, and um, I just want you to see from that. God's a way more loving, way smarter, way better father than me. And so sometimes he'll lead you to the ladder and he'll let you struggle. But he's, you need to understand whether you feel like it, whether you feel like it or not, he's right there. If Max would have slipped, there's no way he was making it to the ground. I'd have caught him. But I did let him struggle because it was good for him. It's good for him to work out them pudgy little legs, okay? <laughs> so while I'm not looking at any of you, sometimes God will let you work out your pudgy little legs, Okay? I'm back. Wasn't that fun? Okay. Do you see what I'm saying though? And do you see why it's not mean of God sometimes? Sometimes it's very loving of God to let you experience difficulty, to let you go through a flood because his promises are there. He's not going to abandon you in the midst of that, you see. And so oftentimes we falsely believe that the easiest route is always the best route. It's just not. Sometimes going through some hardship is the absolute best thing for you. And God knows that difference. And so sometimes he'll be involved in that. It doesn't make me love him less. It makes me love him more. So I told you I'd give you three outcomes, um, possible outcomes when floods come. So outcome number one is that the floods come and your house stands. It doesn't fall. But what happens is that character and faith are still built by preparing for and going through that storm okay? Uh, I used to live right on the Mississippi River in a little town. Uh, It was 4,000 people surrounded by cornfields. It was was pretty fun, like uh, a Tom Sawyer type deal. Uh, And the Mississippi River would flood every so often. Um, So there's like dikes and floodplains and stuff that kind of handle the standard overflow that the Mississippi will have. There's there's kind of an ebb and flow every year, and it's somewhat anticipated. But... uh, Sometimes the waters, they get so high that it, it overwhelms those prepared defenses. And I remember that one time it was so bad, I don't know who made this decision, but they let all the high schoolers out of school to go uh, fill sandbags. Because it was, I mean, it was to that, we're talking, it must have been pretty bad, right? They're going to turn the high schoolers loose to go be the first line of defense. I mean, I don't know where the National Guard was or if they were already there or whatever, but... Go on, seniors. So you know what happened. Fifty percent, maybe, of us made it to the destination. The, you know, the rest of them were out driving around the country, smoking pot or doing whatever they were doing. But a um, bunch of dirty sinners. But anyway, so you um, know, it, it was uh, it was so bad, and it was it was the water was rising so fast. It was it was about to wipe out legitimately a bunch of homes and businesses. It was going to be really bad. And so that's, they turned us loose. They said, "We need all the hands we can get." So um, I drove my eighty-five Monte Carlo down there, and. Uh, yeah, there you go. It was a V6, kind of. But anyways, um, I remember I was I was moving the already filled sandbags, so somebody else was scooping them and filling them, and I was moving them because I was kind of on the husky side. And so I was well, uh, you know, acclimated to carrying things. And um, I was going so hard and so fast because of, like, the emergency situation we were in that my, uh, you know, I was carrying them like this. You know, like maybe two or three at a time, and my arms like cramped at 90 degrees and just like stuck there. Has anybody ever done something like a repetitive motion so many times? There's a cool story in the Bible where a guy, like, um, I think it, don't quote me, I think the guy's name was Shammah, and the Philistines were coming, and they're like gonna raid this lentil patch, which was gonna be their food source, and he's like, no, you're not. And the Bible talks about him like killing Philistines till his hand froze to the sword, and he's like, still killing dudes. People think the Bible's boring, like, that's so awesome. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so my story is, like, much less dramatic than that. I'm just carrying sandbags, but my arms locked up. Like, my forearms seriously just froze in place, but um, the water was still rising. And so even with, like, my arms locked like that, I kept walking over and having them just load bags on me. And we finally got enough bags down, and, and that little section right there of the town that was in danger was, was saved. Um, and there was really such value, I think, in, in working hard together with other people to accomplish that goal. Um, And I learned going through that, I learned pushing and persevering through that, that uh, even when my body's trying to shut down from fatigue, that I could keep pushing with my mind and my soul. I could make my body do more than it wanted to, Um, because, you know, my body was definitely ready to quit. But um, every trial or flood that we go through helps us build character, hope, and faith. We see this in Romans 5, 1 through 5. It says that, um, it's one of my favorite set of verses, and it's the way I make it through many days, to be honest with you. I would... I would commit to you um, the gift of Romans 5, 1 through 5, and I'd ask you to commit it to memory because it's incredibly helpful. Um, and the gist of it is it says that we exalt not only uh, in the hope of our salvation, but we also get this. Exult is a, it's like another word for rejoice. We don't really, I'm exulting in this. We don't really run around and say that. But um, it, it's like another word for rejoice. And so it says not only do we rejoice in the hope of our salvation, but we also rejoice in our tribulation. You see, that's weird. See, a lot of Christian pastors won't get up and tell you the Bible says you should be happy even when you're struggling. A lot of Christian pastors are going to get up and tell you, serve Jesus and you'll never struggle. And they're liars. A lot of people will tell you, you don't have enough faith if you're struggling. They're a liar. That's bad, dirty, toxic theology. Don't ever believe that. Okay. Sometimes very holy, obedient people will go through a struggle because God's with them. He's trying to teach him something, and he's standing there right next to him, on that ladder, and he's got them, but he's letting them grow. <laughs> he's letting something be developed in them. And so it says not only do we rejoice in, in the hope of our salvation, but we rejoice in our tribulation, and it says that uh, tribulation gives way to perseverance. That perseverance develops character, and then once that whole process is done, what we have at the end is, is a proven hope. And so if you think, you break that process down, you'll see that Uh, tribulation gives way to perseverance. Do you have any opportunity in your life, dear one, to persevere if you don't first have tribulation? You don't. There must be some type of difficulty for you to ever experience what the Bible calls perseverance. What you'll notice is, go through all of your Bible, you'll not find another prescription for building character than persevering through tribulation. And that is why God will lovingly lead you into tribulation and right through it and to the other end of it. And what Those scriptures say is at the other end you have hope because isn't that beautiful? Don't you know this to be true? Those of you that have walked by faith through a difficult time, through something you didn't understand, you get to the point where you feel like you're going to break, but then God sustains you and moves you to the other side. You come through that. You persevere by faith. You persevere and it builds character in you. And then on the other side of that, what you have is hope for the next time. Because then when the next time comes and and there's struggle again, whether it be in someone else's life or yours, the devil tries to come and whisper in your ear like, oh man, this is the time God's going to fill you. You're like, no, shut up, because you can reach back to the memory of that last struggle I had. And God was faithful then, and he refused to fail me then. Why would he start now? And so you have proven, proven, proven hope. It's not like fanciful Disneyland princess hope. It's real hope. There's a reason for it. It's got substance to it because God hasn't failed me yet, and he's not going to start now. And we need that, Christian, not only for our own lives but so that we can lend it to others because sometimes hope is hard to come by. Amen? Amen? You ever known that to be true? It's totally true. But part of the way we build and grow and become more mature as Christians is by joyfully persevering through tribulation. We are called to rejoice the whole way. It's no wonder we're called a peculiar people. Who's happy when they're struggling? Christians, apparently. Amen? Okay, so number one is uh, potential outcome is that a flood comes, your house stands, but you build character uh, by going through that process, okay? Uh, Here's potential outcome number two. The flood comes, the house is shaken, but it doesn't fall. Sometimes Christians who love Jesus and obey Him will experience tragedy of such magnitude that even their house that is set on a sure foundation, it can shudder with the impact. Sometimes that torrent and that burst is so great and so violent um, that even something that is connected to Christ in a real and vibrant way, that it can be shaken. Uh, But ultimately, if you're connected to Jesus and you trust Him and obey Him, you will not crumble and fail. I'll give you two examples of that. First off, is um, I met a woman recently, and her son is uh, in Children's Hospital. And uh, one of the guys here is is real connected, and he's done a great job trying to get the word out about helping them. Because the reason they're down there is uh, the little boy's name is Christian, and um, he has a rare form of cancer. And so, uh, this gentleman and I went down to the hospital, and um, we were going down just to you know be an encouragement and offer prayer and let them know that they weren't fighting alone, which it was very clear once we got in there that that was true. I mean, there was just coloring pages everywhere, people saying, you know, get well, man, God's going to heal you, we love you, you know, all kinds of really cool stuff. But So we're standing there and we're talking to this woman, and um, it occurs to me as I'm watching her interact with him that her full-time occupation has become standing there trying to comfort her son while he struggles through cancer. And the reality is the doctors don't know What's going to happen? His condition is very, very serious. And so she also daily is spending a lot of time wondering what's going to happen to her baby boy. He's not, uh, I don't think he's two yet, so right around that age. And um, so as we're standing there talking to her, uh, she starts to explain to us how it could be kind of a roller coaster as far as faith is concerned in the situation. She's a Christian, she loves Jesus. But some very hard questions can start to ping around in your mind when you're sitting there watching a little baby boy struggle with cancer, right? And so she's dealing with that. And, um, but as she was talking to us, she's just expressing how she's learning through it to trust the Lord and that uh, she works every day to remember to be grateful because of a couple things. One, she said uh, her dad would always say that I used to complain about not having shoes until I met a man with no feet. You may have heard that before, but it's very, very profound coming out of the mouth of a woman stroking the hair of her son who's sitting there potentially dying of cancer. It it, it rings with a little bit more weight <laughs> coming from her. And she said also that she tries to remember the fact that she's blessed because even though she is sitting there uh, trying to comfort her son who's in extreme pain all the time, she's grateful because there are children all over that Uh, unit that have been put, forced into a coma for pain management, and so those parents don't even get to interact with their kids, and so she reminds herself to be grateful for the fact that she can interact with her little boy. (laughs) I remember sitting there wondering if I'm even a Christian, (laughs) Um, in, in, in the light of such an incredible, vibrant, beautiful expression of faith, and so I think that probably qualifies as an example of somebody whose house has been shook, but it's not crumbling. She's clearly connected to Jesus. I don't care what theological background she has. You you understand me? I do not care. If she can stand there and say those things, there's something real going on in her heart. Because I cannot imagine something more difficult in all of the world than to watch a little baby struggle like that, especially if it's yours. I barely made it through. It wasn't even my kid. But I barely made it through the meeting. You understand what I'm saying? Clearly, her life has been shook, but she's not crumbling. She's staying grateful, praying every day, staying in the Word. She's trusting Jesus, okay? You may have an opportunity to walk through something like that. My great hope for every single one of us is we'd be able to stand there and smile and talk about how we're trying to trust Jesus and stay grateful, as opposed to doing the other thing, which tends to lead to your whole house crumbling, and that being get mad at God get over on the other side to where you get out of faith and you let the lies of the enemy tell you that this is happening because God doesn't love you and because he doesn't care. It's not true. And I was very thankful, very thankful to witness her really vibrant expression of of a genuine faith. And so I was thankful for that. Also a dear friend of mine, his name is Pastor Jim Turner. Uh, He recently found his 19-year-old son shot. This was within the last month. Uh, took a couple weeks off to collect himself, do the funeral and bury his son, and now he's back on the streets preaching the gospel, telling people that Jesus is good and that God's worthy to be worshipped. That's a house that shook but won't fall because it's connected to Jesus. I, I gave you those two examples because I can't imagine a flood with more strength and destructive power than the loss of a child or the potential loss of a child. You can do anything you want to me it's not going to shake me like if you did something to one of my kids, or even one of your kids, just kids in general. There's something in us, and there should be, that we don't want to see that. And it can make emotions rise that would rise for no other reason. But to be able to have ironclad faith in the middle of that. You know, on, on one side, you've got the, the woman thinking and struggling with the fact that this little boy has not gotten even the chance to grow up and go to a first day of school. And so she's dealing with all of the things she's wondering about him missing, and then on the other side, you got my friend, that's, this, this guy was 19, he, he, he knew his character, he, he was his friend as much as his son, so on two ends of the spectrum, you've got this incredible grief, an incredible potential, that if there was not something really anchored, into the genuine bedrock of the word of God, and the character of Christ, then clearly, that thing would have fell apart, but we see, we see evidence of the contrary, When people stand strong in the midst of difficulty like that. My prayer is that all of us would. That God would be glorified even in the midst of the deepest anguish we could possibly imagine. If I am to suffer, I want to suffer well. For his glory. That's number two. That the flood can come, the house is shaken, but it doesn't fall. The other potential outcome is that the flood comes and the house falls. This tells you there was no connection to Christ. Because a house that is anchored into the immovable rock of Christ and his word will not fall. You hear me? If the house falls, it was not built on Christ or his word or obedience to his word. It may sway in the winds of a violent storm, but it will not be destroyed if it is tied to Christ. Um, when When a house does fall, when a life falls apart because of the floods come, it grieves the heart of the Father very much. It grieves God's heart because he has the heart of a father. And, and because we know from 2 Peter 3.9 that uh, God is not willing that any should perish. But he's broken hearted when they choose to reject his loving invitation to enjoy sovereign stability under his redemptive rule. Did you catch that? The invitation of God is that you can come and enjoy sovereign stability connected to his character, to his goodness, to his immovability. But you have to accept his rule as well. And some would rather have instability and rely only on their own faculties than submit their will to Christ. I think we're getting the way better end of the trade to submit what little bit I have to offer to the king of glory and get in uh, in return from him the stability that comes in being connected to him. I'll make that trade all day. We must be sober-minded and judge ourselves when it comes to these matters. We should not assume because our house is painted white and is clean and orderly on the outside that our foundation is secure. I'm going to read Matthew uh, chapter 7. I I told you we'd be referring back and forth. Uh, Matthew says a little bit more than Luke does along this line of thought. And so I just want to read this to you. uh, And see that... The falling of the house, the extent of the parable, it's not just connected to this life, but there is connection and implications for eternity. I'm in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. We see here the, the double Lord. We could think that's just kind of biblical language. That's, it's, there's something there. It's denoting that this isn't just this casual, like, well, I'm kind of willing to whisper the name of Jesus, but I'm, this is somebody that's like, Lord, Lord! This is somebody that's out there with their supposed connection to Jesus. This is somebody that's saying things like, uh, Didn't I cast out demons and perform miracles in your name? And what's Jesus' answer to them on that day? Depart from me, I didn't know you. Connection to King Jesus and obedience to his word is of the utmost importance. And that's why we need to be sober-minded as we assess ourselves in this. What I don't want to do is cause you to doubt your salvation. That's not the point here. The point here is to consistently and constantly judge yourself as the Bible would instruct you to. Don't get into condemnation, but don't just assume everything's okay. What is your life built upon? Is there anything I could rip from you that would cause your faith to fail? Because if there is... Your life's not built upon the foundation of King Jesus and obedience to his word. You should be able to be stripped of everything as Job was and say, naked I came, naked I go. God's will be done. That's not a popular message today. This will probably not go viral on the internet. Well, maybe for people attacking me because I'm saying it. No, you're, that's too harsh. God just wants to bless people. Okay, then do something with these verses. Captain Happy. You know what I'm saying? It's, let's be honest. This is real, and we need to be sober minded. We need to understand these verses are here. We can't just gloss, I don't like those ones so much. Turn the page real quick, right? That's part of why we do series like this. I realize this isn't uh, an example of you know um, an expository preaching series where we just go verse by verse, but We are taking every parable in Luke in succinction. We're going to talk about the easy parables that are fun to talk about, and we're going to talk about hard ones like this. I'm not going to skip any. I'm not going to go, oh, that one's difficult to deal with. I I, I might have to let people know that, um, you know, it's not all dandelions and daisies and roses, and so we'll just jump over that one and find a happy parable. We're not going to do that. Because some days we need to come in here and worship God and be somber and weep. Some days we need to come in here and clap in joy, and if you can do a handstand, go on ahead and do it. All right, The full range of emotions is allowed in worshiping God, and it's healthy. Some days we should realize, man, I, I, need, to, I need to repent. Um, I need to make sure that my life is completely and totally built upon obedience to King Jesus. I need to not be so sure that it is, because I do some religious forms. And I do a couple things that would cons- be considered... Uh, Holy by some. Uh, Then, so right after what we just read, verses twenty-one through twenty-three, where we have some very stark, serious language that we should take uh, very seriously. It goes on to verse twenty-four, and we see uh, another telling of this parable of the two foundations. And so, I want you to see that I didn't go pull some other set of verses and weirdly weave it into this. That um, this is a part of the same conversation, a part of the same train of thought that King Jesus is giving as he's preaching this sermon. And so uh, those things are connected together. Part of what he's saying is, understand what I'm saying about the foundations to avoid this other warning up here. You understand what I'm saying? You don't want to hear from him that day. Depart from me, I never knew you. Part of how you don't hear that is understand what your life's built on. And don't let it be built on something that's going to shake and move and break. But that it's set firmly on the foundation of obedience to God and his word. Your house falling... If you were to find out today, if you were to be broken and reduced down to rubble today, it could be God's grace to you. Because if there's an issue with my foundation, I would rather find out today than on that day. You understand what I'm saying? For some of you, your house needs to fall. For some of you, no matter how passionately I try to encourage you to examine yourself, you will assume that you're okay. And some of you, the only way you will figure out that something's broken between you and Jesus is that everything crumbles around you. I wish we could avoid that because it hurts me too to watch it. But some of you will insist and we will have to walk through that together. But my hope is that when everything else is broken, you see that there's nothing else to build upon, that you begin to rebuild upon the solid rock of King Jesus and obedience to his word. I love you. That's why I'm talking to you like this. I need you to believe that. Even if you don't like me right now, just believe that I love you. That's why I'll tell you the truth. Your house falling down around you. See, that's when we want to shake our fist at God. It could be God's grace to you. I'd want to know now rather than then. (laughs) This is not a game. The consequences of assuming right standing with God because we have some religious elements decorating our figurative house. They're too dire to ignore. The consequences are too serious. There are many false gods and counterfeit bedrocks that will invite you to build upon them. You could build your whole life on a marriage, but what if your spouse dies? Where does that leave you? You could build your whole life on your career, but what if you lose your job? You could build your whole life on your relationship with your kids, but what about when that relationship changes because they become adults? The bedrock of Christ and his word are unchanging, and the only thing strong enough to bear the weight of your life and mine. you understand the problem is all those other things can change? You can't build a whole life on something that can change. Because if it changes, it doesn't matter how beautiful that structure of a life is above it. I mean, you could have the Taj Mahal of lives, but if it is built on something that can crumble from underneath you, then what you have is nothing the day that happens. That's why we set first things first. That's why I will not continue a conversation with somebody about getting married until we talk about these verses right here. If you've been in it, you know. Love City Primero process is not as fun as it sounds. We get the hammer out and we figure out what's going on. First of all, I need to figure out, are you a Christian? Because I am not going to stand and officiate a covenant between two people that don't even understand what covenant is. Well, that sounds harsh. Listen, man, there's a lot of verses in here that are harsh to me. They see things like, hey, buddy, you're going to be held more accountable than everybody else. And if I'm going to stand at a wedding ceremony and be God's representative in the cutting of that covenant, I'm not playing games. (laughs) I'm going to make sure you love Jesus and you really love each other and you understand that you're coming together to die and lay down your life forever and ever. And and, and I'm going to make you be happy about it. You have to look at me and smile and say, yes, I want to die every day for this person. (laughs) I say, okay, good, then we'll do it. Because it's serious, man. I realize I'm intense sometimes to a fault, but sometimes somebody needs to be intense about something. Here's some questions for self-assessment to help you determine what your life is built upon. I don't want to keep pushing you to gauge yourself, to assess yourself, and not give you some tools to do it. So I'm sure that this will come up in community group. Uh, I, if you're a fast enough writer, as I'm talking about these, I would I would, I would encourage you to write these down. And I want I, I want you to not just write these down and then you know ask As you're looking at them, just give the answer that you figure is the right answer, but literally let the Holy Spirit examine the truthfulness of what you would respond. I mean, just be real, because, I mean, why not, right? So here's the questions to help you determine, uh, really, who your God is and where your foundation is built. Uh, Who do you follow? How would your friends, family, and coworkers answer that question? That's going to help tell you something. And it's not just a quick, who do you follow? I want to know what the people around you would say. Maybe ask them. Here's another question. What difference does Jesus and his gospel make in your life on a daily basis? Is your life different hour to hour because you belong to King Jesus? How so? Do you have a desire to share the gospel? A sure mark of someone that belongs to Jesus is somebody that really, really passionately cares about giving others what they have. And when I say gospel, just to be clear, in case there's someone in the room that doesn't know what I mean, do you have a desire to share the good news about Jesus? The good news about Jesus is that he came and made a way that we could be reconciled to God. He fixed the sin problem. You see, and, and that good news doesn't make as much sense if you don't go back and look at the history a little bit. The fact is that God made us perfect, but we decided to sin against him. The temptation has always been there. We've wanted to be like God. We've wanted to rule ourselves. That's part of what today is even about. It's that, it's that desire for autonomy. It's that desire to think like God and be like God and thus have no need for God, no need to obey him. And so... That's what happened to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and from then on, every single one of us has been stained by sin. Every single person is imperfect. What's required for relationship with a perfect God and thus being with him for eternity is perfection. None of us is perfect. You need to be perfect to be with God. What does that equal? A big problem. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus came and fixed that problem. He lived the perfect life that none of us could. And then he died the death that all of us should have. That's what the whole cross was about. It's not just this this story that somebody conjured up to, you know, make sure we had some religious symbols for certain holidays throughout the year. What happened is that a price was paid for you and me. It was the blood of Christ. That's why he had to die. God saw fit to let Jesus pay the punishment that all of us should have had to pay. And because he did that... uh, Now what we can do, instead of walking that same road he did, instead of paying the price, instead of experiencing the pain, we can put trust in the fact that he did it for us. Grace through faith in Christ alone. (laughs) Not only did he die on that cross, but he rose three days later, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And we get to share in that. That's the good news of the gospel. And my question to you, dear one, is you excited to tell people about it? Or are you timid because your life has not lined up with that message and so you don't know how to go backwards and fix it? See, some of you don't witness in your school, you don't witness where you go to work, you don't witness with your family because you've done stuff and said stuff in front of them that you feel like disqualifies you from sharing the message. Here's how you fix that because I'm tired of hearing that. I love you, but I don't want that... Excuse anymore to stop people from being a part of gospel mission. Go to every single person that you're afraid that they would reject the gospel from you because you've been a bad witness in front of them and you repent to them. You say, Listen, to me, I'm a Christian. I did not do a good job living out what a Christian should in front of you. Would you please forgive me for that? And they're going to be awkward. They're going to back away. They're going to change the subject because people don't talk on the heart level, okay? It's just not what people do anymore. But you get there with them. It's going to make it all awkward and weird. But then what you've done is you've hit the reset button. Now you can go back. And now you can talk about Jesus and not feel like you're going to be a hypocrite. But you should be excited and you should be willing to do whatever it takes to be a part of that. The sharing of the good news of the gospel. If that doesn't burn within you, something's off. Okay? Something's off. What I don't want you to do, if you're sitting there thinking, wow, I could care less if I talk about Jesus all week long. If that's honestly where you're at, don't get condemned about it, but... Today, when you have an opportunity during communion and and during times of worship and and as you're praying throughout the week, ask God to help you. If your heart has grown cold, ask him to come again and stir up those embers and that flame of passion that should be there for somebody that's been redeemed by the Lamb of God. Okay? Sometimes just doing something for a long time, our human tendency is to settle down into a rut and be less excited about it than when we started. There's no room for that on this deal. (laughs) The blood of Christ is no less exciting tomorrow or 50 years from now than it was for me. The first day I realized, are you, what are, you, are you telling me that I can be forgiven for everything I've done? Are you serious? I still remember the day that actually hit me. God will excuse me? That's really exciting news. And there's a lot of people that don't know it. There's a lot of people who still think they're done for. Because they could never, ever do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff they've done. And they still think that's how somebody gets to God. Don't let them believe that anymore, Love City. Have a passion in your heart to undo that lie, please. It needs to be undone. So do you have a desire to share the gospel? Do you desire to be in community and relationship with other Christians? If King Jesus has arrested your heart, I know some of you are introverts, but you should still desire, you should desire to be around God's people. You should not be, you know, um, in the internet chat rooms, you know, talking about how uh, Jesus never said you have to go to church every week and blah, 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 because first of all, you don't go to church anyways, you are the church, but secondly, um, that's just dumb. Look at the book of Acts. They couldn't wait to get together. That's the connotation you get. It wasn't nobody having to you know send out an email reminder, hey, we've got service this weekend. These guys were looking for ways to get together because they were so excited for the next chance to come together, eat something together, and talk about what Jesus was doing and how they were going to get that message going farther. It doesn't even look like somebody had to structure it for them. It's like, hey, let, you know, I just did a phone thing for ancient Bible time, so that's not how it happened. But somehow they were talking to each other, right? They were communicating, and they wanted to get together because they were excited to be a part of what Jesus was doing. And they wanted to be with each other and talk about it and encourage each other. And uh, so you see some of that in Hebrews. Also, just look at the book of Acts. And all of the dumb arguments about um, gathering together as God's people not being important just quickly unravel. Okay? Um, So ask yourself, do you desire to be in community and relationship with other Christians? Uh, The last question I'm going to give you is, do you enjoy, legitimately down in your bones, do you enjoy obeying God? Do you enjoy obeying Him? What's your deepest desire? It's your deepest, all the way down to the deepest part? Is it to love him and obey him? It's a really good sign. None of this means that we're going to be perfect. You guys know that. Romans has made it clear we're all going to sin and fall short. First uh, John, he said, listen, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. Uh, but the bottom line is this has to do with what we desire most, what's happening most of the time. What direction do we want to be going in? We're going to stumble and trip, Yes. But what do you want to do? you want to do what you want to do or do you want to obey Him? May we be a people who are immovable no matter how fierce a storm or flood may come. May we not be self-deceived, calling Jesus Lord, Lord with our lips but building our life on something or someone we trust more. May we not only have strength to endure the difficulties we face, but by God's grace be able to invite others into our lives to witness his glory and goodness, that they may come to trust him. May each of us be like the ones Jesus called the wise builder, our lives built upon joyful obedience to his loving commands. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we really love you. Lord, I thank you for the parables. I thank you that though your teachings can be veiled and for some parts of it that was on purpose, that also what it does is it helps us to understand deep principles that we may not otherwise have grasped. And so, Lord, help us us to keep this in the forefront of our mind that for anyone or anything else to be the foundation that we're built upon, that that is an errand in futility that we're going to end up failing if that's what we've done. Help us, Lord, to be self-aware, Please, by your Holy Spirit, come and convict us if we ever tend to stray, Lord, from having pure joy in the fact that our lives are built upon obedience to you. Let it be said of us that we are joyful people. And let it be said of us that we obey you Lord, we're going to need your help for this. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit because, Lord, it doesn't matter how how typical it is for us to want to obey you. There are those days when the flesh rises up. There are those days when our enemy whispers lies to us and the temptation is real. And so, God, we just ask for the help of your Holy Spirit that we would not be drawn to the right and to the left, that we would not be tempted to Try to build on top of something that will just end up failing us. But Lord, let us be thankful, seriously and, and, and really grateful in our hearts that when we build upon you in obedience to your word, we can be sure that that will never move, that you will never move, that you do not change. Lord, I know within the sound of my voice there's people that they, it's not, that's not hitting them. God, please, by your Holy Spirit, Let a legitimate and authentic gratitude well up in their heart for the simple truth that you do not change. You're perfect. And we're really grateful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies